This is your Thursday Daily Delivery Podcast. I am Michael Rand. How are you guys doing out there today? It's been a good full week on the show. Um, working ahead a little bit, too. Got a lot of good stuff coming up for you next week as well. Stuff that I've recorded already. And, you know, things are getting a little bit busier. It is the first day of September. Feels a little bit sad to say that because that always means that we're getting close to the end of the summer. Um, but that also means we've got a lot, uh, a lot to talk about as the months go on. Um, I'll have Lindsey Whalen on the show next week. Um, I'll have Michael Grady, Timberwolves' new play-by-play voice, on sometime probably next week as well. Um, so a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff percolating on the show, and today is no exception to that. Got to talk Vikings again. They made another trade. Quasi Adolfo meant to trader Quasi. Um, he's already made, I believe. This is four trades, like in the last you know week or so. If we count the Nick Mullins deal, we count the uh, you know they traded Jesse Davis and got a little draft capital back there. Um, they traded for the defensive lineman the other day, and now they trade for Jalen Rager, um, wide receiver from the Eagles, first round pick in 2020, taking one pick before Justin Jefferson. That's a whoops by um, the Eagles. We'll get into that here in a little bit and just the the corrections they are trying to make to some of what has happened in the past that being the vikings um gotta talk about minnesota united disappointing game out in salt lake city losing three nothing to real salt lake had a chance to really kind of create some distance in the western conference but shorthanded in that game trying not to push things too hard in that game. Emmanuel Reynoso did not play in that match. So, you know, maybe one that they were resigned to, you know, maybe giving giving up a, a little bit there. But 3-0, not a, not a good result for them, even without a full squad. So we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. But first, what did I miss? Disappointing end to the Twins game on uh, on Wednesday night couple facets to that first you know they fall behind what 5-1 in the middle innings against Boston grand slam by Xander Bogarts um, off of Joe Ryan kind of the big uh, the big hit that got that thing a little bit out of control um, but they start chipping away they start chipping away and then in the eighth they get it there they're down 6-3 they get a little bit of two out rally going then Nick Gordon hits long fly ball to right and Stands at home plate for a little while and admires it, wondering, is that going to be a home run? Is it not? Ends up being a, ends up hitting high off the wall. So two runs do score, gets it to 6-5, but Nick Gordon, who is not going very fast out of the box, probably lost a couple seconds at least looking at it and then not running full speed. Um, the ball caroms deep back towards second base off of the uh, the high right field wall. He decides to try to go for third anyway. And like as this play is developing, by the way, I'm thinking, uh, is this an inside the park home run? Like Nick Gordon is is fast. That ball was high. You know, it was, it was a high hit. And you know how far it caromed. I'm like, is he going to get his home run anyway? Is he going to be able to circle the bases? But then I see the you know, the right fielder track the ball down and throw towards third. And I'm I'm confused because I'm like Nick Gordon should be on third at the very least. Gets thrown out at third base. A good good throw. Um, you know. A worse throw, he probably makes it anyway, but a good throw, he's out. Makes the third out at third base in a game where they're down by a run in the eighth inning. That is a big-time no-no. So is 
watching that one go. Just you can't do that. Anytime you got to run hard out of the batter's box, even if you know, even if you think it's a no doubt, or even if you're kind of admiring it or watching it, um, you know, good hit. Uh, obviously, like you know, a big hit, a, game, a big moment of the game. You'd rather have that than you know a ground out where you're still at six three. But that you know that sort of play. That's a teachable moment. That's a learnable moment for Nick Gordon where you just cannot do that, especially in such an important situation. So fast forward to the ninth inning, that play still looming large uh, because now it's first and second. Nobody out for the Twins in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, they, they've gotten both uh, Gilberto Celestino and Gary Sanchez on base. Turn the lineup over to the top. you got Luis Arias, Carlos Correa. You're thinking, okay, they are in business here. They should at least be able to hopefully tie this game with the first two runners on in the inning. But Arise has a poor at-bat, misses a pitch, and then hits a pretty weak fly ball to left field. Can't advance the runners in any way. Then Correa um, grounds into a inning-ending, game-ending double play. You know, and these things happen, right? These guys are human. It's not like they weren't trying so this is not a an effort thing in the ninth inning. It's just you know sometimes the results don't follow the way you want them to. But you'd like to see Arise and Correa put together better at bats in that situation. Correa took a the first pitch was center cut fastball. Would have loved to see him take a hack at that one instead of the second one, which got got in on him a little bit. It looked like and he couldn't do much with it. Um, but you know the, the, that's that's life, right? You're not always going to have the results you want. But this one hurts from the standpoint that they had a chance to make up a game on Cleveland. Could have cut this to a half-game lead in the AL Central. Cleveland had lost to Baltimore. That game was in the books well before this one ended. A 4-0 Cleveland loss there. Now, Cleveland's got one more against Baltimore, then, then some more against um, the Mariners. So they've, they've got some tough ones. But the Twins uh, now go to Chicago. Chicago's got some good pitchers lined up against them. This is kind of the White Sox last gasp starting September here. Then they got to play four against the Yankees. And I know the Yankees have not been great since the All-Star break, but they seem to be figuring things out a little bit more now. And then eight of the next 11 after that are against Cleveland for the Twins. So this is go time. This is this is what we're going to this is where we're really going to find out what this team has and you know Again, they were coming off a five-game winning streak. They'd already beaten the Red Sox twice, and the Red Sox are not a bad team. Like winning five in a row, winning five in a row against the Giants and Red Sox is a good sign. Those are all home games. Those were battles. Those were games that they had to, you know, really fight. There were some really big key at bats in those moments from a lot of players. Carlos Correa being one of them. Jake Cave, uh, you know, uh, Gio Urshela. A lot of guys had big hits in those moments, and you're not going to come through every time. But just from a results standpoint, that one was disappointing on Wednesday because they could have made up that game. I, you know, again, you don't know what's going to be the, uh, you know, what's going to be big or not at, at the end of the year. But that one felt like it could be significant and one that could be looked at at the end is like. Ah, we had that one right there, and it let it get away. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and, of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Got Chip Scoggins right now on Daily Delivery. Chip 
columnist for the Star Tribune, of course. Um, I saw you out at the fair earlier this week talking to you and Patrick Royce about your new book. Congrats on that. I might actually play some of that conversation on an upcoming podcast as well. Um, but uh, Chip, I want to talk college football today. If that's all right with you, it usually is. Absolutely. I'll never, I'll never complain about that. And thank you for hosting that uh, Q and a with Pat uh, at the fair. That was awesome. Yeah. I hope to, like I said, play some of that for the podcast audience, maybe sometime next week. Um, it's got a lot of stuff. It's uh, it's that time of year, Chip Gophers open Thursday night. Um, I would think they would hope there, there won't be a whole lot of a test from Jerry kills, New Mexico state squad. Although they, they were a little bit more competitive against, Nevada maybe than I thought they would be, but that's, that's not the same caliber of opponent. No, there, uh, there's a reason people think they're one of the worst college football programs in division one, because they are, um, you know, kill has a lot to work to do there because that, that, I mean, they're just deficiencies everywhere. And, um, they're starting quarterback, I think through three or four interceptions that opening night out and they placed them with the freshman. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Kill said he'll make a quarterback switch or not, and they're playing, which is ludicrous, on a short week to play yeah, on a Saturday five night, days, and then, right? Yeah, and then have to travel that far to play a Big Ten team on a fr- Thursday night it was just, uh, you know, I know Mac Boston was the AD at schedule that years ago. It was uh, probably not the best idea. So um, it'll be, you know, a good opening, you know, game for the Gophers to kind of work on some, you know, get the kinks out, get the uh, you know, shake off some of the, you know, the rust or whatever you have those first games where it might be a little bit sloppy, um, but it, it shouldn't be a, a close game by any stretch. What do you want to see in, in this game that would tell you either, you know, a concern of yours was being allayed or that you just something you just want to know about this team that maybe we haven't, that you maybe just can't glean until you see them actually on the field? Yeah, well, a couple things. Uh, they replaced so much in the trenches along both lines. Yeah, you're only you're only returning one starting offensive lineman, who, albeit, is a very good one, John Michael Schmidt, the yes, uh, All American candidate at center. But otherwise, you got four new stars. It's not, it's not guys that haven't played, and they're not freshmen. They're experienced, but um, but they haven't played together. And then defensive line, you lost two NFL draft picks um, at, at your your rush ends, and so um, so replace a lot of depth there, but guys are, but in talking and listening to, you know, PJ Fleck and, and coaches, they like what they have there. So, but I, I want to see if they're, if the blueprint and what they've, we've seen them win games the last few years by just beating teams up in the trenches by being physical. Right. Is that, is that component still there? And then I don't, the one big question to me it will not be answered. I don't think is that, are they going to be more balanced now on offense with Kirk Rock coming back? I don't think we'll see that because I think this is going to be a typical PJ Fleck non-conference game where they just run the ball, run it, run it, run it, get, you know, milk the clock, whatever the score is, he's fine with that. Just get the win. Um, But at at some point we need to see a more competent passing game. You need to see Dalen Wright be uh, a consistent part of it. Um, Brevin Span Ford, the huge tight end. I want to see him um, be a component in it to go along with Chris Altman Bell. And it can't just be an afterthought. You can't be one-handed. Um, and so, I, again, I don't think we'll see a lot of passing in this game. I don't think that that question is going to be answered. But to me, that is the number one question about this team is, are they going to show 
it's never going to be 50 50 with PJ, but can you be more balanced to where your passing game is a reliable uh, option? Why wouldn't we see more passing in this game though? Just be, I mean, just, I, I know they might not necessarily need to do it to win, that, but isn't, isn't this the time to work on stuff like that? I mean, that's something they didn't really do. That was going to be a frustration last season at a certain point too, where they you know maybe didn't work on that phase. Didn't, didn't become, you know, multi-dimensional against opponents where you could maybe work on some of that stuff. And then you could, you they either wouldn't or couldn't do it later on in yeah. the season either. And if, and if well, you're right, if, if they can't just beat up teams this year, if the, if the offensive line is going to take a little time to gel, perhaps um, you probably are going to need to be more multifaceted than you were in the past. Well, I would like to see it. I mean, I think as you mentioned, this is kind of the, the ideal situation to work on things, to work on the passing game, but it may, it may be PJ will throw us a curveball and, and kind of be out right. of character, but I, I've just seen enough of these preseason sure. games with PJ to know based on his history, I'm just going on what, how he's handled these things. Sure. Typically it is run, 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 milk the clock, um, be conservative. Don't show, don't show your cards. Don't show the big 10. you you know what you have, but at some point, and I wrote this at the end of last year, it was like, Michael, the, the passing game is not a light switch. No, you can't just say when you need it. All right, we're going to, We've ignored it all year, and we've just kind of been sporadic when we throw it. But now we really need it, so we're going to flip the switch and be good. It doesn't work that way. You have to nurture it, and you have to build confidence with and chemistry with your quarterbacks and wide receivers and pass blocking. And so um, this would be a good time to do it, but based on what how P.J.'s handled, I, I'm skeptical that we're going to see a lot of passes. It does feel like an important year. I mean, dep- depending on whether we give them year zero or not, uh, this is either year five or six, depending on how you're adding it, but this is the sixth season as head coach. Um, (laughs) And, you know, at that point, you've got all of your players, essentially, this is your program. There's, there's no, like, there's no mystery to how you want things to operate. And obviously, you know, 2020 COVID, you know, interrupts things, but also gave them the opportunity to have some of these, you know, sixth year, these, you know, these, you know, the, the encore four, as they're calling them, um, back for, for this. But it, it feels like, you know, the conference is going to be there for the, the available again to, to possibly yeah. win that side of things. And, you know, at a certain point, you got you to gotta go that next step. And do they have the team to do that this year? Because I don't think it's going to get easier in the future. Well, no, that's, that's what I'm writing for my advanced column tomorrow, Mikey, is that this is year six. This is not, you know, we've, we've heard them refer to it year zero, Tanner Morgan always called it the dig, Um, you know, those early years where you're trying to implement your identity, your culture, all the things you want to be to get the recruits in that you want your systems. This is your six. This is who you are. And PJ talks so much about sustainability, building that program like in Iowa or Wisconsin that every year, you know, sort of what you're going to have and you're not going to have these ebbs and flows. You're going to have an identity. And I think we're starting to see that from his program, not, you know, they haven't won the West yet, so it's not complete. But I think you know kind of what you're going to get from that program now. Um, I think you're going to see solid defense. Uh, you know, they've kind of built an identity there with Joe Rossi. I think getting Kurt Shiraka back is, is you yeah. know, a big upgrade at coordinator from what they had with Mike Sanford. And listen, you got a quarterback who's going to start his 40th game. That's amazing. Thursday night. Now, how often do you have a, a quarterback that has started 40 games going into the season, right? Not at the end of the career. I mean, this is, he has a chance to be over 50 starts. So it, you have to take advantage of this. And, and, um, you know, the big 10 is changing. 
this may be the last year of East-West divisions. You're adding yeah. USC and UCLA in 2024. Who knows what, how the mechanism is going to be in terms of dividing them up and, you know, uh, divisions or not divisions or how you're going to determine. But you're right. It's, it's not – USC is not the USC of old and UCLA is not exactly a power, but it's not getting any easier to, to get to the, uh, you know, to a Big Ten championship game. And so I think, to me, I, I still think – you have three teams that are in a tier above everybody else in the West. And I think it's the rivals. I think it's Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Not Nebraska. I mean, they're not <laughs> Nebraska. Jeez. Not Nebraska. No. <laughs> uh, say that's same old, same old Nebraska they, that we saw in, in, uh, in, uh, in the opener against Northwestern. They Nebraska so hard in that game. The onside oh, kick when they were up 11 made, made no sense. It was, it was a terrible decision. A um, couple more things on the Gophers, then I want to get your thoughts on some bigger college football things before we, before we, uh, before we go here. It it does feel like, like you said, it, the expectations are are certainly there. You, you when you were talking about Tanner Morgan, it reminded it got me thinking: is he in territory where he's going to set a record or something for most starts by a quarterback in a career? Because I can't imagine, I, would, he, I can't imagine anybody like if he gets to fifty. Like, has a quarterback ever started fifty games? No. Is that even possible? No, well, in, in NCAA, past, with past rules, I mean, I I would it's probably worth looking up. I mean, I know Adam Weber started a lot of games. It's not fifty. No, um, I mean, like a four. Most, year, I'm sure there's been four year starters before, so someone's probably gotten to fifty. Forty five. Yeah, forty. Yeah, if you, let's say you you started four years and twelve games, you know, plus bowl games, you might be at fifty. Yeah. Um, but you know, so, <laughs> but it's still unique to have a guy with this kind of experience. And, and I'm, I'm just curious to see if Shiraka can tap into the 2019 Tanner Morgan. And I know no. he doesn't have Bateman and Johnson. And, and that was a big part of what they were doing. Um, you had two NFL receivers there, but, um, but we saw a different Morgan that year in terms of throwing the ball decisiveness um, accuracy than what we've seen the last couple of years. And again, I, I think it goes back to, you have to nurture it. You, you can't, attempt the fewest passes in division one college football outside of the outside service, of the service academies, cap, yeah. which, which, which do not pass the ball. No. So by all intents and purposes, you threw the fewest passes in division one and think that you can just flip it on and say, okay, now be an accurate passer and make this thing. It, it doesn't work that way. And so um, there's a trust factor with Chirac and, and Morgan. I want to see how that works. And you need more consistency from your wide receivers, particularly. I think if Dalen Wright is consistent, I think this offense, he's to me, is a huge X factor because they don't have a, a wide receiver with his athleticism, um, his physical abilities. And so if he's consistent and provides more of those, not just splash plays, but the consistency, I, I think this offense is completely different. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it, to me, it's a big year for the offense because you know they're going to run the ball. You got Mo back, they got Potts back. Right. The offensive line is going to be, it's what, it's who Fleck is. That's, they're always going to run the ball. If they can be more balanced, I think, um, I think that offense has a chance to be uh, markedly better than it was last year. What excites you the most about college football in general this year, just big picture, thinking even, you know, the greater Big Ten or, or beyond that into, you know, the, the entirety of the sport? Yeah, it's 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 so in flux right now with all the uh, conference realignment and stuff like with that. The and... conference realignment and uh, talk about playoff expansion, and now that's on hold. I think they're waiting to see how all this shakes out because the Big Ten is not stopping at no. sixteen. 
they're, no, they're going to go to 20. They're going to go to 20, which means the SEC is going to go to 20. We'll see what happens with the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12. Is there some kind of consolidation there? Because I think I think we're going to have three, maybe four super conferences within five to ten years by the end of this. Do they break away and have their own thing, um, their own playoff? Uh, so it's it's you know that's going to be fascinating. Then you hit, you know you're going to see a, the the playoff expanded to at least twelve teams. I think it could get to sixteen, um, which would be really fun to have a true bracket, you know, it's not, it won't be like basketball where a 16 seed is going to upset Alabama. That ain't right. going to happen. <laughs> so no, and it's not going to solve the parity problem that exists at the top. I mean, you can have, however, you can have a 64 team tournament, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio state are still going to be one of those four teams is going to win it. I, the only way you could solve that problem is I don't think would ever happen, but that's to lower the 85 scholarship limit and spread the wealth, so to speak. Right. Coaches would never sign off on that. Right. I mean, they just even the even the coaches that it would help um would not sign off because under that theory, I think it would probably help the gophers, right? Because if you lowered the scholarship limit from 85 to whatever, well, those kids that would have gone to Ohio State or Notre Dame right. or Alabama, they've got to go somewhere else. So they're going to go to the mid-tier programs. But try telling PJ Fleck you're going to lower the scholarship limit from 85 to is nah, yeah, not going to go for it. So um, you're still going to have the parity problem, but I think it would open up if you create more access to the playoffs. You're going to have more college football markets that are excited because they're going to have a potential to get into it. Well, yeah, I mean, if you were the Gophers and you could say we got into the playoff, even if you lost right away, like that's different than going to a bowl game. It's just it. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, 100 percent is, is different. And so I think okay, I was worried that a playoff and expanded playoff would uh, take away from the one thing I think that well, not the one thing, but uh, a thing that I, I think makes college football the best sport is just that the weekly drama and tension of, of the college football season and uh Every, you know, one loss could really knock you out of the playoff and all that. But I don't, if anything, I think it's the opposite now. I think if you expand the playoff, it will create that drama because, hey, this matchup could be, you know, you're adding more teams to it. Um, you're creating more uh, drama in, in more matchups yeah. to see in more markets. So I, I just think it, it's, it'll be great for the sport. But um, the sport's definitely changing. Um Tradition, geography, if you're married to that, you're probably going to be disappointed because the sport's not going to look like what we grew up with. But I'm fine with that. I, I think things I think things evolve. I love tradition. Now, I will, I will say this. If however this Big Ten looks and however the scheduling works, they can't be dumb enough to not let the Gophers play Iowa and Wisconsin every that had, I mean, those right. kind of rivalries have to maintain. Like you can't get rid of that. Um, but if you're going to tell me, Hey, the Gophers is going to swap, you know, and go play USC instead of playing Northwestern this year. I'm fine with that. Right. I'm totally, I'm totally fine with that, but you have to protect those rivalries. You have to, that, that would be, that would be a sin. <laughs> you cannot, right. you cannot say, okay, they'll play Wisconsin Iowa every other year, every third. That's not going to work. Big year for the Gophers, big year for a sport in transition. Chips Goggins, great stuff as always. We'll see how this 
starts to unfold Thursday night at Huntington Bank Stadium. Appreciate it. We'll catch you soon. All right, brother. We'll see you, man. Always good catching up with Chip Scoggins on college football. Nobody loves college football at our newspaper more than Chip, I think. Um, you know, someone else could arm wrestle him maybe for that designation, but Chip is on top of college football in a way that um, that you know that frankly I'm not. That that a lot of us aren't. He just uh, he pays attention to it. He loves it. it. Is in his blood, and so love to have him on right on the eve of the Gopher season starting. They play tonight um, against New Mexico State. Obviously, we've we've talked through the Jerry Kill storyline, his return here with not a very good team. Um, but you know, like Chip and I talked about, this is a big year for Jerry Kill. Uh, this is a big year for P.J. Fleck. Um, not a big year for Jerry Kill, too, but talking about the Gophers, big year for P.J. Fleck. Just, you know, from the standpoint of keeping momentum going, right? They had the big year in 2019, kind of the breakthrough year. 2020 was a mess with COVID. They went 3-4. and four. They only played seven games. Um, last year was a good rebound, but it also left you maybe like wanting a little bit more, wanting more of those signature wins. I want more of those signature wins this season. I want this program to get to the point where, you know, seven or eight wins is the baseline, right? Where a disappointing season is seven or eight wins and a good season is you are in true contention for, you know, a big 10 division title. You're, you're in true contention for a very good bowl game or whatever, comes down the pike, however things get organized as time goes on. That, that's what I want this program to be. That's what, that's what Wisconsin is, right? That's what Iowa typically is. That's, that's how I want them to trend. And it just, you know, I, I don't know if they're there yet. And this is one of those years that feels like will tell us if they are going to get there or if they are not going to get there. Speaking of football, Vikings made another trade. Like I said at the jump, four trades for Quase Adolfo Mensa in the last week or so. Just just uh, you know, really reshaping this roster and you know, kind of the the scorched earth. Rick Spielman messed up the 2021 draft tour continues because they cut Amir Smith Marset and uh, and added um, Jalen Rager in a trade with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Rager, by the way, at the 21st pick in the 2020 draft, one spot both before Justin Jefferson. Both of them wide receivers. Rager more of a shifty, could work out of the slot kind of guy. Um, also a punt returner, kick returner. That is an area that they need a lot of help because Smith Marset, they tried to give him that job in camp this year and it just did not work. He was mishandling the ball too much, just all the talent in the world, but not enough of the production that you would like to see as a fifth round pick in 2021. Again, part of that draft where they've made a ton of moves already moving on from guys. You know, we'll see how much they need Rager. We'll see how much they end up using him. But, you know, this wasn't just a minor trade. He's a, you know, they gave up a seventh round pick and a conditional fourth round pick. And when you talk about fourth round picks, those have some value. We're not just talking about end of draft kind of picks. So obviously, Philadelphia cutting loose somebody who, you know, wasn't working out for them. The Vikings adding somebody who maybe still has some upside can fill a role here. But, you know, bigger picture, you know, this is what happens when, you don't draft well. This is what happens when a fifth-round pick of your own doesn't work out the way you want him to, like Smith Marset. And on the flip side for Philadelphia, this is what happens when you miss on a first-round pick. You you can't recoup full value. If they had taken Justin Jefferson instead of Jalen Rager, can you imagine the trajectory difference of these two franchises? Can you imagine the Vikings right now without Justin Jefferson? There would be so much less optimism about where this team could possibly go. And there's already a lot of optimism with with the Eagles. So imagine that so you know you're not going to win every draft you're not going to win every draft pick but thinking about how 
that played out for both teams. Thinking about the Vikings right now having to make several moves to shore up some things, some, to shore up some depth problems that they just, you know, that were honestly just created by the previous regime, and they're trying to fix things a little bit at a time. And this is going to be a process. I, I still don't love their depth right now at a lot of different spots, especially tight end, uh, especially defensive back. Um, I just I, I worry that. They're still a very top-heavy roster, and they haven't been able to address fully yet the bottom part of the roster, and that could be a multi-year process as they try to dig out from, you know, a not-all-bad Rick Spielman era, but an era that left them with a very top-heavy roster. So we'll see what these trades end up meaning to the team, but you can tell by the the urgency of these deals and the need to make these deals that Kwesi Dofomensa not satisfied with the roster in a lot of different areas. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I mentioned, Minnesota United was on a pretty good run, had won, I believe, eight times in 11 matches, had a couple draws in there as well, so it only lost once in their last 11. That comes to an end in Real Salt Lake, 3-0 loss in that match. You know, again, one of those matches where you can kind of maybe see it coming based on the lineup they had put out there. Um, you know, they just didn't have a whole lot of, they didn't have a whole lot of firepower. So Emmanuel Reynoso stayed home to rest, you know, didn't, didn't send him to that midweek match. You know, they, they had already lost, uh, uh, Bikari Debasi earlier, uh, to, to season ending injury. Um, a lot of different things, uh, at play in this game, but you'd still like to see them, you know, even with a different lineup, starting with a, with a four, three, three, instead of the four, two, three, one, even with, you know, different players playing different roles you'd like to see better than three nothing uh results wise um so you know again you know maybe that's one that you can just afford to uh to punt on so to speak we'll see at the end of the year but you'd like to see a better result from this game even with different players that will do it for me today gonna be some gopher volleyball talk on tomorrow's show that team off to a good start they lost to Texas on Wednesday, but Texas is a great team. Gophers a great team too. That was a four match, uh, four set match. Gophers came back, won the third, lost a close one in the fourth. They'd had two impressive wins before that, and they start home play soon. So I'll talk to Jeff Day, and uh, we'll, we'll include some audio from some of the players on that team as well. You know, a little bit more of a feature style look at that team. So that coming up on Friday show. Sure, we'll talk plenty Gopher football too. Coming off their opener twins plenty of other stuff to get to so there'll be no no shortage of stuff to talk about thank you again for joining me here on daily delivery i'm michael rand we will see you again on friday